Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make Walters your spot to watch the Capitals. March to the Stanley Cup. Plenty of TVs and beer selections. Thursday night in Florida, puck drops at 7.30. You can also catch all of the NBA playoffs at Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The kick of the pitch. Swing a blast to left field deep. This has got a chance. Going back on it, Hilliard to the track. Leaps at the wall. Can't get it. It is gone. A three-run opposite field home run for Josh Bell. Hermon Marquez about to throw his 60th pitch. And it swung on and belted a deep left center field. Hilliard going back. Way back. It's going. Going. It is gone. Goodbye. Opposite field beyond the 390-foot marker here at Coors Field. Bang! Zoom goes Soto. Six and two-thirds innings for Fetty is the longest start for a national starter this season. Here's a hard ground ball and one hop down to a knee. Escobar has it, pops up and throws, and it's in time to get his man. What a play by Alcides Escobar. And that helps Eric Fetty be the first national starter to finish seven innings. Fine play saves a run. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. May the 4th be with you. Uh, along with MassInSports.com, Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Force certainly was with the Nats on Tuesday night, a 10-2 win at the Colorado Rockies in game one of a three-game series. I tell you, Tuesday night was a great night in Washington, D.C. sports. We had the Capitals winning at the Florida Panthers 4-2 in game one of that first round series in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we had the Nats winning at the Rockies 10-2. The Nats offense, great for a third time in four games on this nine-game road trip. But of course, the story of the game is the pitching. And this really is something, Mark. I mean, baseball, we know, can operate in odd ways. But here you have Coors Field, right, which has been a house of horrors for Major League pitchers for years. You have this Nats pitching staff on which starters have had such a difficult time lasting long into games. And so it makes perfect sense that the first time this season that a Nats pitcher lasts for at least seven innings happens at Coors Field. Like I cannot get over that. Eric Fetty on Tuesday night, one run in seven innings. What a job by him. What a job by this Nats lineup. Uh, the Nats are looking like a different team here so far on this road trip. Al, this first four games of this trip to go along with your Star Wars theme, it's a new hope for the Nationals because they look like a totally different team. I don't know how to explain it. They had lost eight in a row when they left D.C. They get 
out west and you're thinking this is going to be a really difficult road trip against the Giants, the Rockies, and eventually the Angels. And they've won three of four. They've scored 38 runs in the four games. And like you just said, they've been getting some, with one exception, they've been getting really good pitching from their rotation so far. And I mean, I don't want to downplay at all what Eric Fetty did in this game. It's only the fourth time in his career he's completed seven innings anywhere. So he does it at Coors Field. And I looked up and only eight pitchers in Nationals history have completed seven innings at Coors Field. And the last one to do it was Steven Strasburg in 2015. So it's been a while. And the only other ones before him, let's run through the names real quick. Jordan Zimmerman in 2012, Craig Stammen when he was a starter in 2009, Jason Bergman and John Lannon in 2008. Sean Hill, remember him in 2007? And then John Patterson way back in 2005 goes eight innings. It just doesn't happen here, certainly not in today's game. For all the trouble that national starters have had, even giving them five or six innings, for Eric Fetty to go seven innings, giving up one run at Coors Field, I think this goes down as you know one of, if not the best, actually pitching performances they've had so far this season. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's number one. And you cannot overstate the shocking nature of it, that it happens at Coors Field. How about this, too? So the Nats now this season are 9-16. and 16. The Nats are 6-5 and five on the road versus 3-11 and 11 at home. I mean, the Nats have been like road warriors so far this season. We all remember what happened in the 2019 postseason. And actually, in the Nats history, the team has been a lot better on the road in the playoffs than the team has been at Nationals Park, but that's a weird thing about this Nats team this season. Six and five on the road versus three and 11 at home. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it other than I think in this particular case, things were going so bad for them at home that maybe getting out of D.C., going out west, it might have allowed everyone just to clear their minds and just say, hey, forget about it. Let's just start all over again, hit the reset button. And that's what they've done. I think it does start with the hitting because they are finally getting production up and down the lineup. And I think that takes some pressure off the pitching staff. Most of these guys, they're either taking them out on the bottom of the first with a lead or by the third inning, they're pitching with a lead. It's got to help them. It's got to help them get through this and not feel like they have to be perfect. They have at least a little bit of a cushion Uh, It's been really refreshing to see. I don't know if they can keep it up or not, but it's at least encouraging to see that, yes, they are capable of doing this and doing it in some tough environments, to be honest. Eric Fetty on Tuesday night, can't say enough about the job that he did. One run in seven innings. Uh, He gave up six hits, a double, and five singles. He issued two walks. He only had three strikeouts, so it's not like he was dominant in that regard, but boy, he got outs. He maneuvered himself out of trouble. He threw 102 pitches, which is a more than acceptable pitch count for a seven-inning outing, 66 strikes versus 36 balls. Uh, He ended his outing in a strong fashion, retired 13 of the final 15 batters he faced. You know, it's interesting with Fetty this season. So he's made five starts. His ERA is 468. That's obviously not great, but If you look at the particulars of his season, he really has been decent, if not good, in four of the five starts. The ERA is skewed by that blow-up outing that he had in the 11-2 loss to Arizona Nationals Park on April 20th. Seven runs, six earned in three and a third innings. But his other four starts this season, 4-2 win over the Mets at Nationals Park on April 10th, two runs, five innings, five strikeouts. 7-2 win at Pittsburgh April 15th, two runs, five innings, six strikeouts. And then his most recent outing prior to Tuesday night's at the Rockies, that 2-1 loss to Miami at Nationals Park on April 27th, two runs in four and two-thirds innings, five strikeouts. So if we're being truthful about things, Eric Fetty 
has been the Nats' second-best starting pitcher this season. I'd put Josiah Gray number one. But with the exception of that really bad outing against the Diamondbacks, he actually has been decent for the Nats so far this year. Yeah, it's like like you said, two runs or less in all but one of the starts. Really, the only issue with him has been that his pitch count has been so high that he hasn't been able to go deep in games. So you're giving up two runs, but maybe you're only going four and a third or five. And so that doesn't really help with the ERA. And to be honest, this looked like it might be another one of those. He gets through the third inning and he's already at 56 pitches with a long third inning there. And then what he did from that point on Over his final four innings, only 46 pitches. So he's throwing strikes. He's getting quick outs. Davey has talked about the need for him. When he gets ahead in the count, he sometimes tries to make the perfect pitch. And he ends up throwing pitches that are not competitive because they're balls right out of his hand. And so nobody's swinging at him. And you end up with these long at-bats. And Davey's trying to tell him, listen, your stuff is good enough to get ahead in the count to begin with. Throw more of that. And either they're going to make weak contact or maybe even get a swing and a miss or a called third strike. And so what he did as the game went on is he started basically to not mess around anymore and just keep throwing it over the zone, make them hit it. Now, they hit some balls hard, but they hit them right at people. And that's fine. That can be effective. You can win that way. And I think he maybe learned a lesson or two along the way of how to, you know, I know you don't love the term, but how to pitch to contact and trust that more often than not, you may get outs that way, and that's going to allow you to go deeper in a game, as he did. Yeah, I mean, pitch count was a real problem in his last outing, that 2-1 loss to the Marlins on the 27th of April. Like I said, two runs, four and two-thirds innings. He threw, in that game, 91 pitches over the four and two-thirds innings. Now, he had five strikeouts, but he also issued three walks. Uh, The Marlins were fouling off pitches like crazy, and so that pitch count was driven up high. Here he is on Tuesday night. He only throws, what, 11 more pitches than he threw in the previous outing, but he goes seven innings as compared to four and two-thirds innings. So awesome stuff from Eric Fetty. I mean, look, we've danced this dance before with Fetty, so we're not going to make any big-picture proclamations with him. Remember, though, last year, first 10 starts, he had an ERA of 333. He was good first third of his season in 2021. Then things unraveled. He got COVID. He also dealt with a left oblique strain. His season completely unraveled to where he finished with an ERA of 547. So, you know, he's off to a good start here, relatively speaking. Let's hope that it continues as the year goes on. But like we said, he's been good in four of the five starts this year, if you're being honest about things. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202 486 
3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Michael Franco at second heat double. The inning started with a Soto home run. Pitch swung on, lined into center. That's going to fall to base hit. This is going to score both runs as the throw goes into second. Hernandez has scored. Here comes Franco in to score. Turning and holding it first with a single to center. And two runs batted in is K-Bert Ruiz. Well, the Nats offense on Tuesday night was outstanding. Third time in four games on this road trip. The offense clearly has awakened and hopefully just keeps it going here. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday night, 10 runs, 16 hits, three walks, five of 13 with runners in scoring position. And as we saw in the series win at San Francisco over the weekend, you had almost everyone getting in on the act in this game, which was so nice to see. Uh, Another big game for Josh Bell, uh, three for five with a three-run homer and two leadoff singles. Yeah, the Nats on Tuesday night hit two home runs. We have not been used to that this season, but that three-run third is uh, highlighted by Bell smashing a one-out three-run opposite field homer to left field for a 3 nothing Nats lead. He and the Nats two-run seventh had a leadoff single up the middle. He and the Nats one-run ninth had a leadoff broken bat single up the middle on a one-two pitch. This guy is getting hits in all kinds of ways. His OPS for the season now is above 1,000. He's got an OPS of 1,013. He's been the Nats' best batter. There's no debate about that. And he just keeps going. It feels like since the start of this season, Josh Bell has been locked in. It's still a little early for this, but I think we have to start talking about 
an all-star campaign here for Josh Bell at a position at first base that is not easy to get voted in. But the numbers suggest that he is the best first baseman in the league or close to it. He's hitting 366, which is third in the league. He leads the league in on-base percentage at 464 right now. He's hitting from both sides of the plate which is a big deal. He's hitting both for power, like you said, but also coming through with clutch hits when he needs them. He is as locked in as we've ever seen him. And we're getting close to that date. When we get to May 13th, I'll put the numbers out for the whole calendar year. That's when he finally took off last year after the rough start. The numbers are going to be outstanding when you see what he has done over the course of a calendar year. He is carrying the team right now in a way that I think everybody always believed that he could but didn't necessarily know for sure that he could. And with Nelson Cruz continuing to struggle, Soto having his moments, but still not really being full-scale Juan Soto yet, they have desperately needed it. He has been a godsend for them and I think deserves to start you know, being talked about as one of the most complete hitters in the league right now. Oh, uh, There's no question about that. I mean, he has been a superstar offensive player for the Nats this season. And going back to last May, like you just said, like that, I don't think that's overstating things. He's batted at the level of a superstar since that time. And, you know, you think about that trade that the Nats made to get him Christmas Eve 2020. That looks like a steal right now. You know, I mean, Rizzo, this is another one of these Mike Rizzo heists where He's gotten himself a guy who's performing at a superstar level. Now, you know, it's interesting, right? Contract season with Bell, you could argue, as some might, that he is parlaying himself into being an outstanding trade chip for Rizzo come the summer. But if the Nets go the other way and sign him to an extension, I think there's an argument for that to be made. Like, if this is who Bell is, he's young enough to where he could do this for at least, I don't know, three, four years, maybe even longer. And so maybe he becomes a foundational piece of the rebuild. Like, I wonder behind the scenes, how do the Nats view Bell? Is he a trade ship or is he a potential building block for this Nats rebuild? I think it's a fascinating question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I'm not sure they really know the answer to that yet. The concern would always be, is he going to hold up over the course of time as he gets older? Is his body going to hold up? Is the bat going to hold up? And then, of course, defensively, can he hold up? Well, he's been way better at first base than advertised. But also now that you do have the DH in the National League, that is a little bit of a failsafe for you if you have to go that route within a few years. I think it's a really interesting question. On top of it all, he's a really good guy in the clubhouse, in the community. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like Josh Bell a lot. He seems to like it here. We're going to get to this point at some point this summer where we're going to have to have the discussion is, do you have to lock him up before the trade deadline? And if you don't, do you have to trade him? Or are you willing to play this out and wait till the winter, in which case you maybe lose them altogether and then don't get anything in return? That's where it's going to get tricky. Now, we're not there yet. they got a ways to go. But I do think that is a potential dilemma come July. Yeah. I mean, to me, if you don't lock them up, you got to trade them because you can't lose them for nothing. But it is interesting. The DH does change the conversation at least somewhat. This is Bell's age 29 season. So, you know, he's, he's in theory past his athletic prime but he certainly could be a productive batter for years to come. There's no doubt about that. He's been outstanding, and he had another really good game on Tuesday night. Mark mentioned Juan Soto. Uh, Soto on Tuesday night, one for five, but the one was a home run. A uh, solo shot in that Nats three-run fifth, a first pitch leadoff opposite field homer to left center field for a 5-1 Nats lead. That was some shot by Soto, the homer going a projected 414 feet per stat cast. I got to ask you about this, though, with Soto. Top of the third, runners on first and second, no outs. I mean, you know, a situation tailor-made 
for a Juan Soto extra base hit. He tries to bunt. So Mark is in some soup here, some hot water. First pitch. Soto runs up and bunts at third base side and bunts it foul. Oh, my. I was like, what? Fouled off the pitch, ended up striking out on six pitches. But what was that? Juan Soto trying to bunt? You weren't the only one feeling that, Al. I can tell you that the manager himself was having the same reaction in the dugout. He was beside himself. He couldn't believe it. He was jokingly saying he was as close to just taking his uniform off and storming away in that situation. Certainly, he did not call for the bunt. He does not want Soto to be doing that. I guess the idea is if you're up there at the plate and they're just giving it to you, completely shifted, infield back, they're going to give you a single that in certain situations, maybe you take it. But two outs, nobody on base, and you're Juan Soto? No, they want you swinging away. They do not want you loading the bases for whoever might be next. They want you to take a chance. And then as we saw, the next time up, he hits a home run. So I'm sure the message was sent to him. Every once in a while, Bryce Harper used to do this too, but more so against a lefty, I feel like. And that was usually an indication that Bryce just wasn't feeling comfortable at the plate. Like he didn't trust himself to put together a good quality at bat. I don't think Soto is feeling that at the moment. I don't believe that's where he is. And this is against a righty. And in his first at bat, he almost hit it out of the park down the left field line. And he wasn't even a a full swing. It was almost like a little check swing that almost cleared the fence. So I think he's feeling all right at the plate. I think he just saw that opening there and thought, well, maybe I'll just take the easy single. They don't want him doing that. I'm sure the message got across to him. I don't think we're going to see him do that again. Certainly not in that kind of situation. First and second, nobody out. Yeah. When a power hitter, a great hitter puts down a bunt or tries to bunt, And he says, well, I'm outsmarting you because you're shifting or whatever. No, 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 no. They've outsmarted you. They've won. If they get you as a great hitter to attempt to bunt, they've won. Even if you bunt for the hit, you've lost, okay? And especially, you think about this, where you're playing here, right? Coors Field, the hitter's haven. Like, of all the places to not bunt, this is the place. So, yeah, I mean, Juan Soto has a high baseball IQ. I was really surprised by that on Tuesday night. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. The Nats won by quite a bit, but... I hope that that's the last time we see something like that. You can't tell me that if he had done that, that everybody in the Rockies dugout led by Bud Black wouldn't have been thrilled with a bunt from him. Like that is exactly what they're hoping. Now, maybe, maybe Juan is taking the number two hitter thing a little too seriously because traditionally that's what we think of a number two hitter, right? You set up the big boys behind you. I don't think that's exactly why he's hitting second in this lineup though. Yeah, traditionally, but these days, number two hitter, that's like a badge of honor. That's where like a lot of good hitters are. So yeah, Juan, uh, don't overthink it, man. Just be you and do what you do. And uh, you do it quite well. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is Window Nation's graduation sale. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment so that you get an A. Call Window Nation and get to the head of the class. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl and fiberglass. You can increase the value of your home with curb appeal and save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient Window Nation windows. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Make sure that you tell 
Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. But give Window Nation a call, 866-90NATION, or visit windownation.com. One more time, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Bell at second, Thomas at first. The 0-2 to Hernandez. Swinging a blast to straightaway center and deep. Gritchick on the run, racing back. He lunges, can't get it. It's by him and off the fence. Bell will score. Thomas trying to chase him down. He's going to score. And in at second with another big hit is Yadiel Hernandez. A two-run double makes it 9-1. to Yadiel Hernandez on Tuesday night continues to just be tremendous as a batter. Uh, he was an at-starting left fielder, a number five batter, three for five with a two-run double and two singles. Top of the second, a leadoff opposite field single to left center. Uh, in the Nats' three-run fifth, he had a two-out single up the middle. And in the Nats' two-run seventh, he had a two-run double to deep center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 9-1 Nats lead. It feels like so many things are going the Nats' way right now offensively. And Yadiel is kind of emblematic of that. It feels like every time he comes up to hit, the guy is getting a hit. Uh, Yadiel now has an OPS of 921 over 62 plate appearances. And, you know, obviously, Yadiel last season, part-time player, pinch hitter, etc. This season, we're seeing a good bit of him. And more and more, it feels like he's becoming the Nats, if not every game left fielder, than usual left fielder. I mean, he's been arguably, what, the Nats' third, maybe even second best batter this season, plate appearance for plate appearance. And uh, he was good once again on Tuesday night. Yeah, we're at a point right now where you just have to ride with this as long as he's doing it. If he slumps at some point, that's fine. You pull him from the lineup. But he should be in there every day or close to every day at this point. He leads the team in doubles with seven. He's second in RBIs to Bell with 14. He's hitting 362 on the season. And as you said, the 921 OPS. Now it's you know fewer at bats, but he's consistently putting together. He's doing it against lefties as well as righties. And the defense hasn't cost him. That was always the concern about him, is that if you put him out there every day in the outfield, he's going to cost you runs. Well, he really hasn't done that even in a big outfield like they have here at Coors Field. So I don't know if he can sustain this. If you know, Eventually, is he going to get exposed? Teams start to get a better idea of how to pitch him? I don't know. But for now, you ride this while you can, whether it's in left field or even potentially as DH. And you know, one of the negatives from this game, Nelson Cruz had to come out with a stiff lower back. We'll see how he is, you know, on Wednesday, whether he's back in the lineup or not. But I think if you're Davey Martinez, you have to start having some conversations with Nelson Cruz about, yes, you're still important on this team. Yes, we want to give you every opportunity to hit your way out of this slump and show us who you really are. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee you a spot in the lineup every single day. You're 41 years old. You've already had a couple of minor issues, a groin and now a lower back. There may be some calculated days off for you. And oh, by the way, we need to find ways to get Yadiel Hernandez in the lineup. And right now, there's no contest between who gives them a better at bat, Yadiel Hernandez or Nelson Cruz. So let's talk about what happened with Nelson Cruz on Tuesday night. Uh, So Davey, by the way, had Josh Bell back batting in the three spot and Cruz in the cleanup spot. Cruz on Tuesday night has another bad game, 0 for 3. And then he gets pinch hit for by Lane Thomas in the top of the seventh with a man on first and no outs. And watching the game... It kind of sort of felt like Davey was pinch hitting for Nelson Cruz with Lane Thomas because Davey thought that Lane Thomas was the better batter. That's certainly the way that it got discussed on Masson. And Lane, to his credit, in that Nats two-run seventh, had a pinch first pitch single to left field. Now, like you said, Davey, after the game, said that Cruz left the game due to a stiff back. 
Is there any reason to doubt what Davey said? In other words, is it possible Davey did pinch hit for Cruz uh, with Lane Thomas and just didn't want to say that he did that? Or should we buy that Nelson is dealing with this back issue? I think we should buy it because, number one, he said that it was something that Nelson had brought up even before the game was bothering him, but that he got it loose and felt like he was good enough to play. And then along the way, maybe decided he couldn't. And I also want to say that on one of his ground balls, I don't remember which one it was, might have been the fifth inning, running down the first baseline just didn't look totally as good as he should running bases. Not that he ever looks great running the bases at at his age, but you know, I, I do remember thinking back on it that he looked like he might have been hampered a little bit. So I'm, I'm going to buy this one that it's legitimate. When he had the groin thing a few weeks back, there was a question, oh, is he going to be in the lineup or not the next day? They waited to the last minute while he tested it out, and then he was in the lineup. So he's been in there every single day. Right now, I think it would be perfectly fair to say to him, hey, take the day off on Wednesday. Relax, get some treatment. Let's see how you're doing. We'll get you back in there on Thursday if you're feeling well. I think it's perfectly justified at this point. He doesn't need to play 162 games, even if he's playing well. There's just no need for that. You want to keep him, you know, I know he's not hitting well for you, but playing every day is probably not going to help his cause. It's only going to hurt his cause. You want him to be healthy so that he has a good swing. And if he really is dealing with a bad back, that's not a good thing for a guy who's trying to get his swing fixed. So I would be perfectly fine with if they they said to him, hey, you're taking a day off. Let's get you right before we get you back out there. Yeah, less maybe more for Nelson Cruz at this point, given the age and the struggle so far this year. Good to see Kbert Ruiz do as he did on Tuesday night. He was an at starting catcher, a number seven batter, three for four with a double, a two-run single, an RBI single, and a walk. Uh, top of the second, he drew a two-out, four-pitch walk. Uh, Ruiz in the Nats, one-run fourth, had a double to the right center field gap. He in the Nats, three-run fifth, had a two-out, two-run single to center on a one-two pitch for a 7-1 Nats lead, and then Ruiz in the Nats one run ninth, a two out first pitch, RBI bloop single to center for a 10 2 Nats lead. Uh, this has stuck out to me with Kbert Ruiz. He has started to draw walks. You know, he had not drawn a single walk this season until last Wednesday night, April 27th. It was really incredible to see this. He had played a good amount. He had not drawn a single walk the entire year. Well, he's now drawn three walks over his last five games. I'm not trying to make too big of a deal out of this, but it does seem like he started to be a little more patient at the plate. His plate, his pitch selection looks to be a bit better, and he has started to get some hits here lately. So I don't know if one has anything to do with the other, because it's not like he's on some tear or anything like that, but it's not good when you don't have any walks almost a month into the season. So I'm glad that he started to do that. We know that he can make contact, and we certainly saw him do that on Tuesday night. Yeah, as we've talked about, his best skill is his ability to put the bat on the ball. But that can almost be a curse at times because you feel like you can hit any pitch no matter where it is. And maybe he was starting to expand too much uh, and chase out of the zone. Davey talked about that the other day in San Francisco, that they want him to say, hey, listen, if you get a good first pitch over the plate, go for it. But don't feel like you have to swing at everything. And even when uh, you, you know you're a little bit further into the count, if it's off the plate, don't swing at it, you know? Make them come to you to get your pitch to hit. Just because you can put the bat on the ball and a pitch out of the zone doesn't mean you need to do that all the time. So maybe he's taking a little bit of lessons there from that. I thought this was his best offensive game in a while. He kind of needed this one. It was starting to to cool off a little bit to the point that, you know, they had some of those big games in San Francisco and he was going 0 for 5, 0 for 6, not really contributing. So I think it was important just for him confidence-wise to play a big part in this big rally, in this game. So maybe a good sign that he's starting to come around and figure that all out. 
Some other offensive standouts for the Nats. Uh, there were many in this game. Michael Franco, two for four with a double, a single, and a walk. Uh, Cesar Hernandez got on base three times, one for three with a single, a walk, a hit by pitch, and a stolen base. And I thought that we on Tuesday night saw retro Alcides Escobar. We saw 2021 Alcides on display, two for four with two singles. And these two singles were those vintage Alcides Escobar garbage hits. Uh, he and the Nats three-run third, a leadoff single up the middle that like barely made its way up the middle, but it got there and he got the hit. And then in like the ultimate example of an Alcides Escobar garbage hit, top of the fourth, a one-out broken bat opposite field single to shallow right field on an 0-2 pitch. That hit right there checked every box possible in terms of the Alcides Escobar garbage hit. And understand, when I say garbage hit, I say that as a compliment. He did that so well last year. And I thought that that single in the top of the fourth, if you don't understand what we mean when we talk about Alcides Escobar garbage hits, just watch that Escobar single in the top of the fourth. That was like perfection when it comes to Alcides Escobar. Yeah, I had the same thought. I was I was thinking to myself, like, that is Alcides Escobar in a nutshell <laughs> right there. Those hits. Good for him for coming through with those. You know, the other thing I'll say, he played really well in the field, I thought. And I also want to give some credit to Michael Franco the last couple of games. They've had some issues over there, as we've talked about. They've played very well the last couple of days. Uh, Franco had another great reaction play at third base in this game. Escobar made a couple of uh, uh, tough plays at shortstop. Much better stuff when they make those plays in the field. You're helping Eric Fetty be able to get through seven innings on 102 pitches. They go hand in hand, especially when a guy's not getting a lot of strikeouts. So uh, props to them for cleaning that up, at least here the last two days. Yeah, defense was good on Tuesday night. And, you know, at Coors Field, it's not just fly balls that travel, but balls hit on the ground move quickly. That is a fast-moving infield at Coors Field. So it's not easy to play the infield uh, at Coors Field. Well, one of the benefits of Eric Fetty doing so well on Tuesday night is that you had an oh-so-rare game in which Davey Martinez only used two relief pitchers. I mean, that is not something we have said with any kind of frequency this year. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez worked the bottom of the eighth, did give up a two-out solo homer to C.J. Crone, and Paolo Espino, a perfect bottom of the ninth on just six pitches. I don't know, it's a blowout game. Why not just have Erasmo pitch the ninth? Any idea why Davey had to make the change? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just wanted to make sure that uh, he's available again tomorrow, something like that. Remember, they're dealing with a condensed bullpen now, back down to nine. And uh, I don't think there's any harm in that. It was fine. You know, And like you said, Powell will throw six pitches, so he's good to go for another game. That was nice to see. Just to get through a game with two relievers, especially in this ballpark, that's huge. I mean, that doesn't happen very often here. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, one more item here. Nats on Tuesday did make some roster moves, activated D-Strange Gordon from the Injured list, the mysterious injured list, which we all believe is the COVID injured list, uh, and optioned infielder Lucius Fox to AAA Rochester. Uh, boy, D-Strange Gordon, he, he ended up being out for a while. I know he had some work at AAA Rochester, but uh, good to go now for the Nats at the major league level. Yeah, he's fine now. And, you know, he said he's glad that he didn't get anybody else sick. So we know what, you know, he was dealing with. Um, but he really couldn't do anything when he was in quarantine. I mean, he said he had some like you know, big rubber bands that you do some stretching exercises with and that stuff. And he actually used a, a virtual reality uh, contraption that he has to watch what looks like pitches, like actual pitches coming from big league pitchers. And he couldn't swing, but he was able to at least track some pitches virtually in his mind. And then he went to Rochester and played five games for them. So he was feeling good, feels ready to go. He's relieved that it all worked out fine. But 
you know, tough situation. I mean, he had a really good spring for them and they were expecting big things from him. And all of a sudden he's out for what more than three weeks. I think that he missed. Uh, we'll see once he gets into a game, how does that translate? Is he lost whatever he had going on earlier? But I think we're going to see him. They want to get him action, whether it's at shortstop, whether it's in center field, coming off the bench to pinch run. There's a lot of different things he can do for them. And we saw how much Lucius Fox was playing lately in that role. That's now essentially uh, D. Gordon. I mean, they don't have any other backup infielders, so he's the guy for now if they need somebody to step in. With D. Strange Gordon missing so much time, was he symptomatic? Like, was he struggling with what he had? Or was this just he kept testing positive with whatever he had, wink, wink, and uh, he couldn't get back to work? No, he actually did have symptoms from the start, and that's why they tested him and why he was sent home uh, originally from Pittsburgh. Yeah, he wasn't feeling well, but like you said, fortunately, nobody else got it as a result of him. You know, He's got a family at home, so everybody else, it sounds like, uh, came out of this okay. And it's funny how far we've come in the last two years. When when that happened in 2020, it set off fire alarms everywhere, and you were worried about the domino effect on the rest of the team. You had games being canceled Nowadays, with the vaccine and everything else we've learned about it, you know, thankfully, it really hasn't caused any major problems for anyone in the long run, other than just kind of being an annoyance for having to miss some games, miss a little bit of time when you don't feel well. Well, terrific job by the Nats on Tuesday night. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starter for game two at the Rockies on Wednesday night at 840. And we'll see. I mean, on the one hand, you say this is not a recipe for success. Corbin at Coors Field. On the other hand, After what we saw Eric Fetty do on Tuesday night, I don't know what to think anymore. So we shall see. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the wind now. And the pitch. Swing and a pop-up. Shallow left center. Escobar going out. He's calling. The shortstop's under it. And he makes the catch for the out. And a curly W's in the books in Denver. The Nationals in double digits for the third time in four games. Win for the third time in four games in this road trip as they take the opening game of this series from Colorado going away.